if what you're doing is filling your bucket, persist through some of those trials. However, if it's not, figure out how you can pivot. And for me, my pivot took me four years to figure out what I wanted to do. If you are willing to work hard, if you have good communication skills, if you have initiative, if you can follow through, I'm going to hire you even if you don't have experience. Anytime, you know, someone's like, I don't see someone that looks like me in whatever I want to do. For me, I would just kind of use that as fuel to say, you know what, I'm going to be that person that other people can look to to say, you know what, I'm going to be the next so-and-so. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. I think as fans, we often look at athletes, especially college athletes, as commodities. For a short window of time, they entertain us on the court, the field, the arena, and then who knows what happens to them. 99% don't go on to play professionally, so their window of relevance in our lives is pretty short. I realize this sounds harsh, but think about your own fandom for a second. This sounds pretty on point, right? But I also don't think we, the fans, should do anything different. It's not your job or my job to keep up with the life journey and path to success of student athletes. But it is really nice to know that that is the job of some people to care just a little bit more, to focus on the life planning and post playing days career of our student athletes. One such all star is today's guest, Ashley Stone. Ashley is the Associate Athletic Director for Student Athlete Experience at Oakland University, overseeing the experience and well being of over 350 Division I student athletes. Prior to Oakland, Ashley worked for the University of Nebraska Athletic Department in similar roles with incredible lasting impact. Get this. She built and directed Nebraska's Post-Eligibility Opportunities Program, PEO, which provides recent letter-winner alumni a scholarship to use for an internship, study abroad, or graduate school. Talk about making a difference. Talk about trying to build up somebody for success. Within three years of the PEO program's launch, she helped award over 140 participants more than $1 million in scholarship aid. The program won the 2017 NACE Chevron Award. NACE is the National Association of Colleges and Employers who recognized PEO as the most innovative career services program in the nation. I want to reiterate, this is post-eligibility. So for all the talk of schools chewing up and spitting out athletes, There are many people and many programs designed to help, even when the on-field performance is over. In a world where opportunities in athlete development are constantly expanding, this conversation is one you really want to lock into, not only because it's cool to know there's people that are working directly with the student-athletes to make their lives better and their plan better, but also because this could be your match for your career, too making a difference like Ashley Stone. Hi, Ashley. This is so great to talk to you today. Thank you for joining me. How are you? I am good. Thank you for having me. Excited to dive into student athlete experience. So this is so interesting to me. And you and I were talking a little bit before we got started in that we've had over 450 episodes of this show. We've talked a little bit about the student athlete experience, but we've never really dug into it with an expert like yourself. So I'm really interested in in your perspective. And we'll dig into a lot of that today because we have a lot of student athletes in our audience and also a lot of people who want to be student athletes that are trying to understand that mix. But Let's start with you a little bit first. How did you kind of figure this out? How did you decide, like, 
I'm interested in the sports industry. I'm going to go this direction. How did that all come, come to be? Yeah, great question. And really, my experience in sports came full circle and my job found me. So really sharing that story is in high school, I played sports. I've always been connected to sports, would watch the NBA. Growing up in Nebraska, was a huge Cornhuskers fan. And so uh, my junior year of high school, I went to my first professional basketball game and it was in Chicago. I had the best experience there that I left that game. And I told my brother who was working in Chicago at the time, I said, Nick, I said, I'm going to be the next or at least a director of community affairs and marketing for the Chicago Bulls based upon the experience that I had. So I was completely sold on that experience. I went to college at Wichita State focusing on working in professional sports. And so they had amazing internship programs, did some work with the PGA, worked for the Wichita Sports Commission, which really gave me a taste of a variety of sports endeavors from minor league baseball, USA volleyball, an NBA exhibition game. And what was really interesting is when I say kind of my stories come full circle is that after college, my heart wasn't filled with sports. I was Mm -hmm. great at sport management, but I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. And so I actually pivoted completely out of sports and I went to work in student affairs because I was like, I loved my experience in college. I want to help other students embark on their next chapter in life, right? Which naturally for some is college and really help them navigate that. And so through student affairs, I knew I needed a master's degree. And so that brought me back to Nebraska. And Mm -hmm. some of my mentors there, I was doing a GA position within the alumni association. And I had shared some of my passions with people. And they said, Ash, you need to go volunteer in Nebraska's athletic department. You specifically need to meet with the individual who oversees academics, but also their life skills department. And not knowing necessarily what I wanted to do with my future, thinking I would be in college student affairs and an academic advisor, or maybe even leading a career unit. Really, my goal is to be a professional encourager. And so when I learned all of this, as soon as I started volunteering with Nebraska Athletics, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And that first job was to essentially be a life skills coordinator or help those student athletes with life, leadership, career development, community service, all of those things. So essentially, I fell into it because I had no idea a career like this even existed. When I heard about it, I was like, I'm pushing all my chips. I'm going all in. This is what I want to do. Okay. So you said something really fascinating in there that I want to dig into before we get into the life skills coordinator. You hit a moment where you decided maybe this isn't the right path for you. Correct. I think that's very real. And I think that a lot of people out there deal with that. I think I dealt with that at a period too, actually about 10 years into my career where I was like, I think I'm burnt out on on sports and all the work that goes into it. What was that experience like for you? Why did it shift and and make you feel like, I don't know if this is the right thing? I think this conversation helps people. So dig in a little bit there. Yeah, I was, I was actually asked this question even last night um, by a student. And essentially it was, you know, Ashley, when do I need to pivot versus when do I need to push through on something? Mm. And so for me, it was- that's a great question. Wow, that's a, yeah. that's a very attuned student. Wow, I love that. Even more impressive, it was a uh, ninth grader in the Detroit public school system. Oh my gosh, yeah, high five to them. That's fantastic. Yeah, and so the advice that I provided them was, what fills your bucket, mm-hmm. right? What pulls at your heartstrings? And in working with students through the career lens, you also know that, right, some people see their job as a calling. Sometimes they see it as a job. Sometimes they see it as a career where they want to climb the corporate ladder, where for me, all of my life's work is simply a passion project and a calling. And so for me, while I initially felt called to go into professional sports, the side of professional sports I wanted to go into was the marketing and community affairs. So the experience that I had in the United Center was something that I wanted 
every individual age seven to experience at their first game or age 98 to experience at their last game, but also that community affairs side of giving back to the community. Um, And so for me, those passions and those values have always stayed the same. My experience that I had in professional sports through my internships wasn't that right. It was the professional management side. And so for me, business, I knew that I wanted, Yeah. yeah. So I wanted my values to really align with my work. So for me, I think that advice is simple, you know, depending on what your goals and values are, if what you're doing hits those objectives and is filling your bucket, man, persist through some of those trials. However, if it's not, you know, figure out how you can pivot. And for me, that pivot essentially, right, I, I pivoted out of sports in 2010. I essentially pivoted back into sports in 2014. So my pivot took me four years to figure out what I wanted to do. But it was the advice and the guidance of a mentor who said, Ashley, here are your skills, here are your passions. Here's something that you never knew existed. Yeah. Go check it out. And so um, it's kind of a culmination of all those things, but it really comes to what fills my bucket. I love that. And I think it's such an important conversation to have because I think now we're having a much more open conversation about mental health, not just with athletes, with employees. And I yeah. think this is really important because I, I will say personally for the early part of my career, I felt like my job gave me energy. Like I enjoyed it so much that I felt power coming from my job. And the further I got, I hit a point where I was like, this is reducing my energy. I am struggling. And that was where I needed to look in the mirror and pivot and figure out my bucket filling and et cetera, like you said. And I think everybody's going through this and we might not always talk about it. And so having this conversation, having even this lens on it is I think so important and I can clearly see why you're so good in, in the role that you fit. Um, let's talk about the being the life skills coordinator at Nebraska early on. I didn't even realize this was a thing and yet I'm happy to know that it is. You know what I mean? It's like we so often think of athletes through the lens of what we see and we don't always make them humans and we don't always see the struggles they're going through. What was that like for you as you first got into that role as life skills coordinator in the Nebraska athletic department? I mean, that's a big high pressure organization as well. Yeah. So for me, it was awesome because again, I felt like this was a job that I was truly born for. So like Mark Twain, I'm a big quote person. So Mark Twain has this quote that basically says the two most important days of your life are not only the day that you're born, but the day that you find out why. And so when I learned that being like a life and career coach for student athletes was a thing, right? I told you, I pushed all my chips all the way into the middle of the table. There was no folding for me. And so when that opportunity came alive, I was like Charlie in the chocolate factory. I was so excited for the opportunity. And so in that role, essentially, I served as the biggest cheerleader and mentor and supporter for about 125 student athletes. So at the time, there were probably five of us working in life skills, and we all basically worked with different teams. So I worked with wrestling, softball, women's gymnastics, and football. And every single day, I'd have students in my office, right? And if you were my life skills person, they'd be like, hey, Brian, you know, just want to stop in chat today. And so, yeah. right, we would talk about sports, we would talk about life, we would talk about community service opportunities, what they wanted to do when they graduated. And from that relationship, I mean, I even got a text message yesterday from a student that I worked with five years ago saying, hey, I'd love your address, I want to send you something in the mail. So you got to build yeah. Yeah. amazing relationships with the students. You were one of their rocks outside of their sport. And typically, people only want to talk sports with college athletes. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't sports as part of the picture, but for me, it's not the only picture. So essentially you are creating amazing relationships with students to say, Hey, whatever you need with life, leadership, career, community service, I'm here to help you in those endeavors to make sure that when you graduate from Nebraska or whatever school, 
right? That you're going to be as successful in life as you were as being a student athlete at Nebraska. What did you learn in this early time? What it's uh, like putting yourselves in the shoes and experiencing the life of a student athlete. What, how did your perception kind of change? What did you kind of learn about their troubles and how different? Because I think being a student athlete is a completely different existence. They can't do internships the same way normal undergrads do because they have training and travel and all these other requirements upon them. So as you got into this and started to see it, what did you notice about the big differences for the student athletes? Yeah. So I think, you know, the first thing I noticed, and I wasn't a student athlete in college. Um, sometimes people think it's really rare that folks who work in college sports aren't former student athletes and actually a majority sometimes aren't. And so, yeah. you know, for those who are looking to go into, you know, working in college sports, just know that, right, you don't have to have been a college student athlete to do that. So from the outside looking in, you know, it's often hard to explain things to the full extent. And so even some of my perceptions was, you know, every student athlete's on full scholarship. Well, that's yeah. not the case. And essentially, you know, from other people too, student athletes get everything handed to them. That's also not the case. So I think some of the things that I immediately learned were like, I was a student on campus who worked 30 hours a week, in addition to taking, you know, numerous credit hours, all this stuff, our student athletes invest at least like 20 hours minimum into their sport. So it's not uncommon to have a student athlete, whether you're a power five division one or mid-major wake up at 5.30 and get to weights at 6 a.m., work with the training team to be able to do some rehab, then being able to go to practice, having to fit you know, breakfast and lunch in there. Then you're going back to practices. You're going back to classes. You have your own stuff to do, potentially tutoring other meetings where you know, 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. fills up very quickly. You know, And then if you're traveling you know, besides and playing in competitions, the 24 yeah. hours that you have in a day gets evaporated very quickly. And so you aren't able to sleep much. Sometimes nutrition's not as great. And so I think that's one of the biggest struggles of athletes, but probably also one of their biggest strengths is just time management because they have so much to fit in. Um, the other thing you talked about was internships. Students don't have a lot of time to do internships, whether you're right. a fall sport, whether you're a spring sport, whether you're a winter sport, simply because you do have so many requirements and things to fit in. And so if you are able to do an internship, you know, sometimes it's in the summer, but yet if you have football student athletes, they have to report midsummer. And you can obviously see where this is going is when a student athlete is on campus, whether they're in season or out of season, there's not a lot of time to get them that hands-on experience yep. they need to be competitive outside of just being a student athlete when they're applying for internships or jobs the first time, even applying for graduate or professional coursework. Yeah, it's so complex. I mean, there's such a, a, a small number of student athletes that go on to play professionally and make it a career. And so being able to balance that idea of being, I'm a student athlete, but I need to prepare for life after the fact and career and all that, that time management becomes so important, like you're saying, to figure all that out and to have somebody like you on their side helping guide that, I think is so powerful because you you want these young people to be set up for success. How open are the student athletes to these programs? Like I know, like for example, when I was an undergrad and I talked to a lot of other people about this, it's like, yeah, I know career services exist, but I don't know, I'd rather do something else. Like how often are the students proactively seeking you out, wanting your advice, wanting your help? Are they really open to this? Are they that driven and focused? That's a fantastic question because that's something we talk about all the time where I don't want to say this in a negative way, but you have the phrase, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't mm -hmm. make him drink. And so I think- yeah regardless of what side of the house you are in within higher education or student affairs, 
there's always going to be programming for student athletes and it is going to be beneficial. And so we do some required programming, some uh, programming that's optional, but essentially you kind of have a third, you know, amount of your student athletes who are all in. So they'll be coming and saying, Hey, Ashley, can we work on my resume? Can we work on our cover letter? Probably a third who are a little bit indifferent. And then potentially the third who are like, you know what, we'll seek these resources out when we need them. And so, you know, I think if I could give one gift to all the student athletes or even, you know, anyone in life, it's perspective, right. That you wouldn't probably get until you've lived 20, 30 years down the road. And so I would say there are students who are receptive to it. There are some who, you know, you need to convince with just love and and showing them the opportunities in front of them and how it can benefit them in the future. But overall, when the students are graduating, you know, it's not rare to have students come by and just say, Hey, thank you for putting on these workshops. Thank you for helping me with my resume. You know, getting a text saying, I just got a job at X company. You know, you were a huge part of that. And so there's some hesitation. I think once they see the value in it, um, you know, it doesn't take much for them to then get on, you know, that life after sports training. One of the things I love about your background in bio is the post-eligibility opportunities program that you started and, and worked on it at Nebraska. And I believe you've carried over to Oakland as well. We so often, unfortunately, as fans and as a society, tend to look at student athletes in a commodity, like a, a commodity in a way. They're providing a service almost. And they're, they're young adults. They're 18 years old. And yet we look at them as a source of entertainment. And then, you know, they're forgotten about. After they finish their career, it's like, okay, whatever, move on to the next batch. I love the fact that you look at them and say, even when they're past eligibility and can't compete anymore, we want to help them. We want to help them grow. I'm going to read off a couple of your stats. Within three years, the PEO program distributed more than $1 million in scholarship aid to 140 participants in six continents, 14 countries, and 18 states. And they had a 98% full-time job placement rate upon completion of internships. And 26% of the participants were first-generation college graduates. When you sit back, do you have a time where you get to celebrate successes like this? Or are you always on to the next thing? I'm not good at celebrating, you know, small wins or big wins just from how I was raised. But I will say, so this program was actually specific only to the University of Nebraska. And it was before name, image, and likeness where, you know, students could earn some additional money for opportunities. And what was great about this is, right, you talk about the impact of the program. And for me, I had the privilege to actually present to some of Nebraska's biggest donors who actually funded this program and in sharing the stats and really talking about that 26% uh, first generation college graduate kind of participation in it actually brought me to tears because to think of, you know, first generation college student, they are going off to college on their own. That's tough to navigate. Yeah. Being a division one student athlete and navigating that process on your own is huge. And so just thinking of the impact that it provided these students to basically go out and pitch this idea of doing an inter- internship at any company they wanted simply because Nebraska was also providing them the scholarship to do so was absolutely insane. Um, And so knowing how many lives it changed or allowing students to go on a study abroad experience for the very first time in their life, some students who had never been on a plane before, had never been out of the country, to be able to do kind of mini recap articles with them and hear from their own experience of how much, you know, that scholarship changed their lives was huge. I mean, I lived vicariously through all these students and can talk about all their experiences in these continents and different countries yeah. The internships that start as an internship, but the company loving the students so much that they turn those things into full-time jobs to which some of those students are still in today. I mean, that's life-changing. Yeah, that's that's massive impact. You are you are literally changing lives. And that's 
I don't know, celebrate. Like, I'm going to force you to celebrate. Okay, I'm glad you brought up NIL too, because names, image, and likeness is one of my favorite subjects right now. I just think it is the the sea change we're watching happen throughout all of athletics. How much has it changed the game for you? Boots on the ground, doing this every day, talking to student athletes. How much has names, image, and likeness changed their perspective, changed your role, changed your advisory, your advisory approach? How much has it changed the game? My answer is probably going to shock you a little bit in that here for us at Oakland, right? We're a division one mid-major. It really hasn't at all. And potentially that's because of how saturated the market is potentially in Michigan with, right? You have University of Michigan right down the road, Michigan State. You have so many schools and also um, just even professional sports teams in the area where it doesn't seem like NIL has taken off that much here at Oakland. We do have one student athlete who has maximized his opportunity through it, definitely has a big following on social media, et cetera, um, where I think some of your bigger schools where you see a lot of the articles coming from, right? Your your football yeah. powerhouses, um, Open Doors, which is a company who we partner with here at Oakland, has a lot of stats for the schools that they partner with in general. And so it's cool to see almost per season, almost how the stats are fluctuating in support of the student athletes in season with more NIL deals at that time than when those students are out of season. So I'm intrigued to see how NIL will continue to develop here. We have the education for the students. We have the compliance kind of portal set up to make sure that they are getting into, um, you know, deals that we can essentially track and and making sure that they are, I guess, using their brand appropriately too. So um, it'll be interesting to see how everything continues to unfold over the next couple of years, not only here, but, you know, throughout the power five schools too, where there's been a lot of attention focused on them. It's so interesting to watch the impact and the some of the unintended consequences, maybe, you know, like you see the initial plan for how it's going to be implemented, you understand it, but then in practice, you start to see some of these things come up and you're like, hmm, maybe you didn't see that happening. You know, it's interesting just to watch it out unfold and talking to different athletic directors and et cetera. It has changed the game in a lot of ways. So it's it's just going to be interesting to see how deep it goes. So you mentioned earlier that you you at, at Nebraska, you worked in with athletes from multiple programs. You do the same at Oakland football, gymnastics, softball, wrestling teams. Are there different challenges facing different students depending on their sport or their, do you have to modify your approach at all? Or is it pretty much student athletes are more similar than we may realize? I think for the work that I do, kind of my bread and butter, which is, you know, life and career development, leadership, community service, is that across the board, student athletes are very similar, right? You have those who really have this calling to give back. And so they're always like, how can we volunteer in the community? Can we read books? Can we do community cleanups? And so those conversations are the same. I think when it comes to leadership, we're all different types of leaders. I mean, for me, I've never had the aspiration to be an athletic director. My goal is to be the best number two in the nation. And that's simply because I know that I'm really good at making other people look better. I'm okay blending into the wall too, where I don't need to get the credit. And so I think it really depends when you're working with leadership Do you have someone who's more of a dominant leader? Do you have someone who leads by example? Do you have someone who is that vocal leader? And so those conversations will all shift based upon where their strengths are and kind of who they want to become. And with career in general, right? It's, you know, Brian, what's your major in school? What do you want to do? Um, Do you have connections in that field yet? If so, let's check out LinkedIn. Let's connect you with some informational interviews. And so those conversations are always tailored to the student, but across the board, you know, those students are coming and saying, hey, Ash, how can I be better? What more can I do? And again, my goal and my focus is always helping them be successful when they graduate, Um, overseeing student athlete experience. There are different staff and departments who work, you know, under me, and that would be 
strength and conditioning, sports medicine, nutrition, or sports psychologists and academics, all those conversations also look different, right, for those students, depending on their goals, depending on injuries they have, you know, what their nutrition goals are, et cetera. But, but my, my, my conversations are primarily focused on, you know, leadership, life after sports, what type of legacy do you want to build? So you get it, you get your master's at Nebraska, you get a job at Nebraska, you're working in the athletic department, you're making the huge changes we've talked about. And then I don't know, to a lot of people that might be a dream position. Like this is, this is where I've always wanted to be, but then you moved. You moved out of state. You moved to Oakland University. You're in Michigan now. It's a it's a mid major school. Why? Why did you make the move? That's a good question. You bring up you know kind of the connection to Nebraska. I'm a third generation uh, farmer in Nebraska. My dad was a farmer. You know, his dad was a farmer. His dad was a farmer. Both on my mom and dad's side. And even I had um, my grandma went to Nebraska too. So my cousins have wow. gone to Nebraska. A lot of connection to Nebraska, yeah. and they have the saying like, "There is no place like Nebraska." And for me. That clearly means a lot, you know, not only all the family ties to Nebraska, being born there, working there, but there is something magical about Nebraska. Um, And so this opportunity arose and I talk about goals. I'm also someone who um, I think when I'm ready to take on a new role, it's because I'm no longer being challenged in my current position and typically Mm -hmm. wouldn't have anything to do with the people there. What I'm doing, it's just I'm always someone who strives to be better or wants to take on more to be challenged. And that's kind of part of what makes me tick. And so this opportunity presented itself. And as you know, I said, I've never had the aspirations to be an athletic director. I really want to be the best number two in the nation. And so for me, this was too good of an opportunity to not pass up. I don't have family in Michigan. I had never been here before, um, but it has a structure. The people here are absolutely fantastic. And so it felt like home as soon as I got here. And if I could move all my family, my friends here, the facilities and finances that you would find at a power five to Oakland, you know, I, I would easily stay here for the rest of my life. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So smaller school, like you said, mid-major D1, but still 350, over 350 student athletes to help. As you look at it kind of holistically, what do you think have been the biggest differences going from the Corn Oscars to the Golden Grizzlies, which, by the way, I, I love that mascot. Golden <laughs> Grizzlies is fantastic. I was looking stuff up yesterday and was like, I think I want to buy a T-shirt. Perfect. But anyway, what are those biggest differences? I'm sure someone can send you one, so we'll connect on that after. All right. Um, I won't say no. <laughs> perfect. Well, I think the biggest differences to me is that what's interesting is Oakland was actually a Division two school about mm. 25-ish years ago. And so... With their transition in Division One, they really didn't have the infrastructure to be kind of a Division One program. So I say that because here we have, I think it's 65-ish full-time staff members, and that's with coaches, you know, supplemental staff, et cetera, to run an entire athletic department. So that's probably been one of the biggest changes is kind of for comparison's sake at Nebraska, and I'll speak to what I know is in the life skills department, right, we had five essentially life skills coordinators working with student athletes individually to help them prepare to be successful in life after sports. So sometimes I'm not great at math, but right. You have five (laughs) to 350 individuals. Yeah. You know, that's a decent ratio here. We don't have anyone in life skills. So while I do life skills, right. And I still have all these other roles. I'd maybe say a fifth of me is dedicated to life skills or student athlete development. We also have, you know, two individuals who are serving our student athletes as academic advisors and you have 350 student athletes at Nebraska, you had over 10 for 600 individuals. So just across the board, yeah. and this would be the same kind of comparing any mid-major to a power five, right? And I'm just drawing on my experiences from Oakland and Nebraska, because that's where I've been. 
but essentially you have reduced staff. And so anytime you have a higher, you know, staff to student athlete ratio, sometimes the services you can provide are lackluster. So I would say not lackluster, but right. They aren't as robust as what you would be able to provide. Um, So for me, I think one of the things that I miss most is at Nebraska, I knew a lot of student athletes in depth, right? We would meet one-on-one every single semester here. I'm not able to do that, but yet I'm, you know, we're still trying to find ways to assist student athletes with the resources, with the support that they would get at a power five, just on our level. So there are definitely some struggles in that regard. I know we've been talking a lot about the student athlete experience and your role with that and life skills, but you actually have done a bit of everything over your career in athletics, fundraising, events and hospitality, student service, sports performance. You manage a lot at Oakland. Um, is that, if you're advising young people who, because we have a lot of people in the audience who, who are like college athletic, that's where I want to head. Yeah. Uh, is, is that idea of being versatile and being and willing a key component of finding success in college athletics? I would say it is. Um, I know I've shared, you know, my story and provided advice to mentees I've had where they've said, you know, Ashley, what do I need to be or who do I need to be to be successful in college sports? And a lot of times, you know, people ask me about resumes too. What do I need to have on my resume? I don't have experience in student athlete development. You know, do I need to have that to get my foot in the door? And it's going to depend on schools. But for me, I always tell students and, and folks who are in the profession already, if you are willing to work hard, if you are willing to do, you know, tasks that other people would consider to be, you know, beneath themselves, if you have good commu- communication skills, if you have initiative, if you can follow through, I'm going to hire you even if you don't have experience, because I feel like those are the skills that anyone needs in any position, whether, you know, you're a salesman, you know, at a car dealership or you are working in college sports or maybe you're in the yeah. banking industry. Those are just for me the baseline skills that I think you need to be successful in any type of organization. I saw a quote that you shared on LinkedIn. Yes, I was, you know, social media stalking you as I researched. It was research for this interview. Yes. But anyway, you, <laughs> you shared, uh, I like this very much. Lazy people do a little work and think they should be winning, but winners work as hard as possible and worry that they're being lazy. Over your career, that's the end of the quote. Over your career, you've interacted with a lot of different people in the sports industry and I ask this question a lot and I get a lot of different perspectives on it, but how do you identify like what that pattern of success is? Like we've all been around people who are like, you see them and you, that person's going to go places. And then there's others you look at and you say, eh, it might be a struggle for them. What is that key component that you think is aligned with those people that find success? That is a great question. And I don't know if I've ever really been stumped, right? Or needed time to really ruminate on something to come up with how I feel about that. Because I mean, you do need hard work, but I think you need right emotional intelligence. You need to figure out what battles are worth fighting and and what battles necessarily aren't worth fighting. So, I mean, it's a loaded question, a lot of good ways, but I think at the end of the day, you know, it potentially comes down just to that willingness to be a great team player, to have the growth mindset again, to do any tasks. Like I've taken out the garbage here. Like I know our custodians names and things because every single person in your organization is important. Every single thing that every single person does in your organization, those are all vital to making sure that you are successful. And so I think it's just you humility to be able to know that you can do anything, but you also need to approach it kind of with, I would say at least that servant leader mindset where there are going to be some days where you may not want to do what you've been asked to do, but 
we're all part of a team and any day someone can be the leader and someone can be the follower. It's so true. I've told this story before, but I was the news director at Fox Sports Northwest. And and when the, we had a new batch of interns come in every time, I would do a little bit of an introduction with them. And then I'd give them their first kind of assignment for the day. And it wasn't the most tasking thing, but I literally assigned it to one person. And they looked at me and said, nah, I'm not doing that. No. Like it was beneath them. And right away it was like, that's too bad. What a missed opportunity for you. So kind of bye-bye. And it's too bad because I, I don't think everybody realizes that your personal brand happens in each one of these moments. Yeah. When you're on your internship, when you reach out to somebody on LinkedIn, you're establishing who you are and how you're going to be perceived in the marketplace. And so it's so important that people embody themselves the way they want to be and take on all those challenges no matter what they are and just be that continual learner. And that's one of the things I really noticed about you in your bio too is that you are continually taking classes, certificate courses, different ways to improve upon yourself. And I think that curiosity and want to grow, I mean, to me speaks volumes. And I think that's a great message for everybody out there is to, to that continued growth. Um, I want to figure, finish up with two bigger picture que questions before we, before we wrap up. I'm so appreciative of your time. This has been such an awesome conversation. I speak in a good deal of college classrooms. And recently I had a woman during a Q&A session ask and say, I'm the only woman in this class. Is there a place for me in the sports world? I loved how forward she was. I loved how, like, she wanted the answer. I gave an answer, but I would love to know your perspective on that, about the changing environment for women in the sports industry and, and how welcoming it is. Yeah, well, she's definitely not the only one. Um, I was in sport right. management classes where I was one of a few, you know, women. I was... Um, an intern for the PGA Championship down in Tulsa in 2007, I was one of three female interns for a cohort of 20. And so, wow. you know, it's not uncommon for women to be the minority in sports. However, I see that being a big opportunity. And so I think anytime, you know, someone's like, I don't see someone that looks like me in whatever I want to do. For me, I would just kind of use that as fuel to say, you know what, I'm going to be that person that other people can look to to say, you know what, I'm going to be the next so-and-so. And with that, I, I would say if you have come across people like that in your future, definitely connect them with me because there are a lot of women, too, who I know who are always willing to advocate for women in sports. Um, a lot of my colleagues and I belong to an organization called Women Leaders in College Sports, and they have thousands of members. But essentially, it's dedicated to right, the female voice. There's a lot of us who you know, need support in our roles. There are a lot of us who need to ask questions. They have mentor, you know, mentoring components too, which has been huge. But I would say I've also met a lot of great people where I've blindly reached out and there have been some female ADs, even at Power Fives, who I think understand being a sole voice, right? In this big, you know, ocean yeah. filled with ADs that don't look like them. And so what's been so great is they have been so gracious to respond to me, right? Not knowing who I am and, you know, saying, yeah. Hey, thanks for your email. We appreciate your kind words. If you ever need anything, let us know. And so I would say to that individual or those individuals who you continue to meet is, you know, reach out to me or reach out to women in sports because we want to believe in you and give you a chance just like, you know, so-and-so has given us a chance. There is an incredible support network. We've had, uh, we made it a goal this year to make, we do, I mean, about 52 interviews a year and we made it a goal this year to make sure that we were, Split 50-50, men and women. And uh, oh, obviously, 
minorities and other groups too, but I want full representation of the people we interview too, because I think we project what the image is of the industry and what we want it to be. And so we did a full month in a full month for women's history month of only women in sports guests that are amazing, making a massive impact and want to help other women. So I love the community of women in sports and how that's growing and gaining in power. So I, I just love that you were even open to people reaching out to you too. I love that. Um, one last question. We'll finish up here, Ashley. I love this conversation. Thank you. A lot of people in our audience are not student athletes, but they still need life skills, guidance, and coaching. What are some of those basic principles or even more in depth or what, some of those things that are like your core beliefs that you can share with the audience to say, here are some of the areas you need to make sure that you're focusing on to set yourself up for success. Yeah. So I will go research-based first and then add my own, you know, two cents where Love it. Um, there's an organization called NACE. It stands for National Association of Colleges and Employers. And so every single year they do two different studies. One study they do is they reach out to employers and they basically say, hey, tell us the skills or the traits that your new hires um, need most, right? And then they also do one that basically says, what are the skills that your new hires don't have that we, you know, need them to have. And so essentially that list of what students are lacking, but also what employers want them to have are, are essentially the same. So it's teamwork. It is strategic thinking skills, verbal and written communication skills, um, even, you know, taking initiative and leadership. And so those are all skills that, you know, you can get by being on a sports team. Those are all things that you can get by being involved in group projects or band or debate or even, you know, drama club, musicals, et cetera. And so those are typically, you know, the handful of items that companies are wanting and that, you know, areas where students essentially fall short. Uh, for me, it's yeah. just timeliness. Um, we have a lot of students who may not seize opportunities until they need them as opposed to being proactive. So for me, being proactive is huge. You know, if students ever come across someone, you know, who's saying like, hey, Brian, it was great to connect. If you ever need anything, let me know. I'm willing to invest in you. What's interesting is there are a lot of students who don't take people up on that investment. So if there's ever anyone who wants to invest in you, definitely let them do that. Um, but for me, the last thing I would say is not really even in career prep, but just a way to stand apart is I feel like I'm probably a handful of individuals who keeps the United States Postal Service in business <laughs> due to being a believer uh, of snail mail. And so that is, yes. I think that love a handwritten card. I'm a big gratitude fan. And so for me, you know, there's, it's something nice about a phone call and, you know, or a voicemail or a text message or email, but I live by the handwritten word. And so, you know, if someone definitely wants to stand out in a thank you note after yeah. write an interview, definitely encourage students to do that. Fantastic advice and guidance. Uh, Ashley, I can't thank you enough. It's so interesting and so informative to realize how much effort is built into supporting the student athletes and your growth in the athletic department at Oakland and at and Nebraska is so clear. It's so clear why it's happened. And you, there's the, the world is your oyster. This is so impressive just to hear all that's happening here. And so keep being your professional encouraging self. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I loved it. Thank you to Ashley for coming on the show. I find it so inspirational to know that people like Ashley are out there trying to make a difference with the student athletes, trying to give them life skills, develop a whole person so they can go on to success in life. It's a great opportunity that student athletes get. 
get to perform, they get to do what they love in sport, but they also get an education. And to have someone like Ashley guiding them through that entire process, making sure they maximize those opportunities and leverage them into their next steps in their career is just so great to hear, but I think should be inspiring to a lot of you as well, thinking maybe that's the direction I want to go in my career. We're doing more and more as a sports industry in player development, in mental skills training, in life skills coaching. These are all important facets of our industry and it's something you should probably check into. And Ashley is such a great advocate for people who want to learn more about it. And hey, she opened up the door. If you want to reach out to her, she's open to it. Thank you, Ashley, for coming on. Thank you to all of you for listening. I appreciate every one of you. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. That makes a difference for us as we continue to grow this program. See you all on Monday. Monday.